1: And welcome to today's broadcast of the Black Talk Radio Live Drive at 5. My name of course is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines called the United States of America. Uh, do I need to tell you that the saying, uh, liberty and justice for all is, is not really to be taken serious and all I have to do is just scan, uh, the social media news feeds to see all of these cases of injustice. And um yeah, I, I didn't plan on talking about this today, but uh Joseph Weekly, I brought up his name yesterday in our interview with Mr. Robert Perkins. If you missed that interview yesterday, I thought it was a great discussion uh that we had. Uh, callers called in, had some good insights on, you know, when, when black people are projecting these stereotypes and supporting, uh, stereotypes. But we mentioned Joseph Weekly when I mentioned Ayanna Jones. And so some news came out today, uh, where Joseph Weekly, the squat Detroit squat team, uh, member leader, uh, shot Ayanna Jones in the head, tried to blame it on a grandmother. Uh, he had two trials. Uh, both of them ended in mistrials. Juries could not reach a decision on his guilt. Um, and the Kim Worthy's office, the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office issued a statement today, uh, stating that he will not be retried. And so it just seems to me that this so called jury system that we have in this country, um, you know, it, it's just not working. It's just not working um i don't have the answers i don't know what to tell you except for when you have people who who have this pro cop view this pro warrior cop view uh being uh their minds being subjected to all of this pro cop propaganda and not saying that it has to be anti cop But people, you know, a lot of people have a skewed perspective on exactly what police do in this country. And no matter, I mean, you could catch them on film, as has been demonstrated time after time. You can catch them on film committing a murder. And, you know, depending upon the makeup of the jury and what they believe in, what kind of propaganda is influencing their minds, uh, they're not going to find these people guilty. They're not going to find them guilty. And so then, you know, the victims and, and the supporters of the victims seeking justice, we're left, you know, hanging in the wind, so to speak. Uh, you know, uh, well, that's the jury decision. That's how things work. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. So move along. Nothing to see here. And, you know, I just, my heart just goes out to that family. Uh, especially that grandmother, man. That grandmother was really, I mean, she witnessed the murder of her granddaughter. Uh, then the cop tried to blame her. Uh, that was proven to be false, but yet somehow this lying cop was found found innocent by some members of this jury, which caused it to become, um, you know, a hung jury uh, twice, twice. And so uh, the prosecutor, Kim Worthy, uh, is not pursuing another trial in that case um i wouldn't hold out any hope for the justice department to get involved again you know they have done numerous investigations uh in the cases like this and you know it always ends the same um you know this person did not violate another person's civil right i mean you break into the wrong house you know bomb it with your stun grenades kill a little girl and you know her civil rights weren't violated so don't expect anything on that front um don't get hold out any kind of hope um just realize the fact that we live behind enemy lines it's a war zone and you know you're likely to be killed at any time um especially if you have you know melanated skin if you are of a certain race or if you are of a certain uh, economic classification. So yeah, I, I wanted to share that news again. I don't like to, it, it pains me to report bad news, but hey, this is not an entertainment program. I'm not on here to make you laugh. I'm not on here to entertain you and just play music and, and talk about what hap, what's happening on the reality shows and things of that nature. No, you know, that's not why i take time out to do research to do this program no it is to inform you about social and political issues and problems that exist and hopefully you know we can work towards some solutions so that's just very very unfortunate um i do i want to share another news story that was also troubling uh yesterday but before i do that look listen we have, uh I'm excited about our guest today. Uh We should be joined by Mr. Aaron Dixon here just in about four minutes. Let me make sure my studio phone line is open so I don't miss his call. Uh But yeah, we'll be joined by civil and human rights activist, former Green Party Senate candidate out of Washington and author Aaron Dixon. And he chronicled his time as a member and captain in the Seattle, Washington chapter of the Black Panther Party in his 2012 book, My People Are Rising, Memoir of a Black Panther Party Captain. Um, In the book, which I have been reading, uh, Mr. Dixon marched with Martin Luther King Jr. to end housing discrimination as a young man. And he would later uh, become involved with the Black Panther Party. Uh, start a free breakfast program for school children, a free medical clinic and a legal clinic, um, though, his, uh, through his work with the Panthers. And while, you know, the Seattle black Panther party has long been destroyed, you know, along with the, you know, national party long been destroyed by FBI, COINTEL war, illegal war on the black community and other leftists, um, you know, specifically targeting the black Panther party, um, people in the civil rights movement, well, regardless of all that, the free services that uh he helped to start in Seattle are still in existence. And so his, his legacy is from the Black Panther Party is still alive, and that's great to see. Uh, although I say, you know, the Black Panther Party legacy is all around us, but a lot of people don't recognize that. Um, They don't recognize that sickle cell testing that's going on just in December was sickle cell awareness month. Well, you know, the Black Panther Party started all of that, you know, through its health clinics and and whatnot. Uh, The free breakfast, lunch, all of that, man, school systems, public school systems didn't have those until the Black Panther Party uh, started feeding, you know, these hungry children so that they could go uh to school and you know, focus on their schoolwork instead of focusing on their hunger pains. And a lot of people do not give them the credit that they deserve. Uh I mean even the US government uh still is holding uh black parent, former Black Panther Party members as political prisoners and yeah it is just sad that there is not a lot of awareness and there's a very small community of those who focus on political prisoner Issue. So we'll be joined by uh, Mr. Dixon here in just a bit. Um Also, um, I don't know if y'all saw that video of the middle school at uh, what was the name of at the HBCU. I think it was Howard University uh, Middle Middle School of Science and, and Technology, something like that. Anyway, they fired a bunch of teachers for teaching unapproved black history it didn't have nothing to do with black history month. it's not february but you know it, it was these teachers who were giving the, their students a dose of their african heritage in, in black culture and you know just giving them the information that they're not going to find in these uh school curriculum books and so you know she fired the principal a black woman uh, exercising as, uh, or acting as a proxy racist for the system fired these teachers right in front of these children, upset the children, upset the parents, and that was just sad. That was just really sad to see. And, you know, I know Dr. Boyce Watkins put out a video that kind of echoed my own sentiments about, you know, what Malcolm X said about your enemy educating your children. Yes, it was a charter school. Yes, it was 90 percent black. Yes, it had a black administrator as a principal. Uh, But still, though, they have to follow the guidelines, I suspect, you know, of the county. And, you know, who's making up that curriculum? Not black people. No, they're not. And so that should be a lesson to us that we need to get more involved in writing the curriculum for the school districts where we are a majority, you know. And so I'm, I mean, I guess I might try to get more into that, try to get Dr. Watkins on next week, possibly, uh, to discuss that further because my uh, feelings on it is that these are not, uh, centers of education, uh, for our children, but centers of indoctrination and uh even in Dr. Boyce Watkins video he talked about you know how these uh um uh, native indigenous uh children were stripped of their culture stripped of their clothing sh- even cut their hair you know and and forbid them to uh speak in their native tongue and so you know that's what it's all about about stripping our cultural identity to disconnect us further you know, from, from our ancestors, and, you know, it's just sad that this continues, uh, to go on, and, and it's gotta be uh, stopped. We, we cannot continue to tolerate this. So, uh, yeah, Um uh, it's about one minute, um, after. I uh, still haven't gotten a call from Mr. Dixon. Uh, I'm going to take a short break and, uh, see if there was an issue or a problem. My phone lines are open, uh, so that shouldn't be the, be the issue. Um so give me just a second. Um, I'm going to work behind the scenes, see what I can do to uh contact our guests. Uh, we will be right back so instead of legislation, in my opinion, it
2: takes education the whites have to be re-educated uh, so that the racism that they have in their hearts be eliminated and the and our people have to be re-educated uh, so that we will know how to do something for ourselves for ourselves. For ourselves.
3: Instead
1: of waiting for others to report all the time. Uh, area Code five oh five, who do we have on the line?
3: Uh Aaron Dixon here.
1: Hey, Mr. Dixon. I was just going to talk about your book and was hoping that you were all right. So uh, good to hear from you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I was just mentioning to the oh. listeners about your book, My People Are Rising, memoir of a Black Panther Party, uh, captain. Um, I just oh. reread, well, I read the book for the first time, but I saw the film, you know, Negroes with Gun, Guns, uh, which talked about Robert F. Williams and, and the movement here in North Carolina where I am of armed, uh, black self defense. And so, um, when I read these books, we often also play clips of people like h rap brown stokely carmichael angela davis and and martin luther king and others speaking on you know the issues of that time period and like i was just telling the listeners mr dixon as i was going through through your book Oh, uh, let me shut that down somebody's trying to reach me through this other uh, phone system sorry about that uh, but as I was going through your book Mr. Dixon um, it just it just confirmed in my own mind that the same issues that we dealing with today are the same issues that you were talking about you all were facing your generation was facing at that time period I'm, I mean do you see any similarities
3: no I <laughs> Yeah, I do. So many similarities. It's, it's, it's kind of disheartening. The fact that, uh, you know, what we fought for and struggled against, including the civil rights movement, the black power movement, uh, the death of Martin Luther King, M- Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, that not much has changed. The only thing that really has changed is that individually there are black people that can rise up. But as far as uh, police brutality and racism, the level of racism I would say it's worse I would say it's worse now than it was
1: then in many ways I mean there, I've heard other people say that in other interviews um, in what ways would you say it's worse? I, I know for example that you know there are far more people in prison on these prison plantations than they were during the 60s but what what other ways do you see it as being worse?
3: uh well, well, first of all back uh in that time period sixties and seventies, at least because of a lot because of segregation we we did have our own family system, we had a cultural value system we had our community was um a lot more together, and um uh, we had more control over our kids and our community um <clears throat> Today, uh, because of integration and many other things, uh, we don't have those things to protect ourselves and to protect our community. And you have, uh, a level of, um, of racism since neoliberal, uh, politics came in under Ronald Reagan. You've seen a concerted effort to, uh, really dehumanize and imprison black men and women, because they didn't want to see anything like the 60s happen again. They didn't want to see another Black Panther Party again. And uh, it was Ronald, it was Nixon who in, in the 70s who started the war on drugs, and it was Ronald Reagan and Bush and Bill Clinton who continued it and uh, passing the, uh, these laws that uh, entrapped a lot of uh black youth and black and latino youth Uh, i mean we have a prison system with 200 over two and a half million people in prison you know we didn't have anything nowhere near like that back in uh 60s and 70s you know we have laws that have been specifically designed against us that we didn't have before Mm -hmm. um and uh, you have the the police is is the mil is much more like a military occupying force because they are militarized because of the wars in Iraq and in, uh, Afghanistan. I guess you could use that as an as an excuse, but uh, you know the police have um, body armor, they have tanks, they have machine guns, they have you know everything they use in war they are using against people.
1: Here at home in this community. Now I want to um, jump into the book, and, and the way that I want to want to do this is I highlighted certain passages from from your book, and then I'm ask I want to ask you questions on you know just to again relay that we're still dealing with the same system of oppression, the same system of racism, the same system of imperialism. I I, I mean, again, you know, whenever I read books by people like yourself uh, who were active during that time period, I have to ask myself, you know, how much progress or lack of progress have we made? It, It just blows my mind that here we are, what, two generations later? And it's still having to fight these same battles. Uh, but before I, I get into that, you know, um, I would like to give you an opportunity to put out any kind of information that you would like to. I have linked to your book and I encourage people, you know, to purchase the book. Um I've linked to the Amazon uh, page. Um, but is there anything that you're working on currently or any information that you would like to to get out before I really get into these questions about the book?
3: Yeah, the one thing I think um, we ought to remember, there's there's over 20 members of the Black Panther Party that are still incarcerated, that are still political prisoners, as well as other activists, Latino activists and Native American activists who are in prison, and and it's important that we don't forget those people. Um, And along with that, uh, you have the Angola 3, which you had the Angola 3, but (laughs) Now it's, um uh, there's only one left.
1: Albert Woodfox. That's
3: Albert, yes, that's Albert Woodfox. But there's another brother in, uh, Louisiana, uh, who, uh, also was a Black Panther Party member in, in the prison. That's where he joined.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And a lot of people don't know about this case. And, uh, <clears throat> his name is, um, <clears throat> Kenny Zulu Whitmore, <clears throat> and he has been, <clears throat> he's been incarcerated for over 40 years, and he spent uh, a lot of time in solitary confinement. So right now there are some of us that are working on trying to highlight his case, and I encourage people to, uh, you know, go, go look him up and check him out and write him letters and uh, send him letters of support and anything else that they could do.
1: And I certainly echo those sentiments. And perhaps you know you may not have been aware, Mister Dixon, but we have a, a Sunday night program comes on every Sunday night at nine o'clock p.m. Eastern time, hosted by myself and uh, and my co-producer, uh, Sister Mijo. Uh, Whitlock, who does a lot of work with Jericho. And, uh, so it's called Political Prisoner Radio. And that is all we do is, is focus on the cases of these political prisoners because a lot of people, you know, don't even realize that the United States, which of course it denies that it's holding any political prisoners. So, um uh, just want to make you aware of that. And I'm sure, you know, we will be reaching out to you to uh be a part of that program to help highlight any cases that you would like to bring to our audience attention. So I I'm I'm just, you know, so happy that you brought that up because to be honest with you, I'm not going to call no names. Um at times we have reached out to former Panthers to come on to to highlight the cases oh. of their comrades that are incarcerated and we just don't simply hear mm-hmm. from them. And and you know, we mm-hmm. look at their social media accounts and they never mention you know, that they still got com- comrades locked up. So it was, it, it just did my heart some good to hear that come from you. You know, first thing that you had an opportunity to say was to mention your comrades that are, uh, you know, being held as political prisoners under horrendous conditions, being tortured in fact.
3: Yeah. And in solitary confinement for, you know, 30, 40 years. We're the only country in the world that keeps people confined for you know for years and years
1: now i want to jump into jump into the book um now i when i first started the book you were talking about you know you had done research into your family history and, you know, all the way back, I think it was, uh, your maternal history, your mom's side and, and, you know, uh, looking back into, you know, your ancestors being enslaved on this continent. And then, you know, after they, uh, escaped, you know, slavery after the so-called, uh, civil war, so-called, uh, ended slavery in this country about the black codes and, and all the things that, you know, the laws that were erected to keep um, you know, black people enslaved to to this system. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, bringing it back to today, you just mentioned Nixon, war on drugs, Reagan, you know, what he did, privatizing prisons, uh, allowing Wall Street to get back into the slavery game, and uh, then Clinton with the three strikes laws that he worked with Republicans to get passed. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, I mean, again, looking back, I mean, would you say black codes exist today?
3: <laughs> there's no there's no doubt. <clears throat> there's no doubt it does, that, that you know that they they still exist. And uh, all these laws that they've created, stop and frisk, in many ways, is, is like a, one of the laws of the black code. Every time you see a black and Latino youth, uh, you just automatically stop them and frisk them and search them and, and humiliate them. And if you find any little thing on them, you know, you charge them and you, you take them to jail. And of course, we've seen what happened in New York. They've stopped and arrested people who weren't even guilty and held them for three, three or four months before they even were, uh, charged or not charged with the crime. So, and they're getting away with that all across the country. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kidnapping. It's like kidnapping, you know, kidnapping somebody. Uh, for doing nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: There was a 16-year-old boy who was arrested on a burglary charge that he you know was cleared of doing but they held him in Rikers for 3 years. Missed his yeah, yeah missed his graduation, mm-hmm. missed his prom, just stole his life from him, you know. And, yeah. and and so yeah, it's a lot of extreme cases uh in the cases of racial profiling we've been reading that, you know, in some of these police departments there are uh, arrests you know uh records the people that they're arresting that you know they're targeting black people arresting black people 100 to 1 in, in some yeah. of these departments so yeah that's that's just unfortunate um now um you also talk about in, in your book and I highlighted this because a former Green Party presidential candidate, which you was, you know, ran for the Senate on the Green Party ticket. But Cynthia McKinney, also former U.S. Congresswoman, uh she had posted something on Facebook uh, last week about the United States government admitting under Eisenhower. Uh, that the CIA assassinated Patrice Lumumba, the first democratic uh, uh, elected uh, leader, you know, of post-colonial uh, Africa, if we can call it that. Um, I think imperialism is now, or neo-colonialism is what's uh, plaguing the continent now. But you you mentioned this uh, in your book, and and you know, you mentioned that he was assassinated with the backing of the CIA. And so in, 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 you know, in that vein, you know, now we're hearing about the CIA torture scandal. Uh, we hear about the drone program, which is extrajudicially assassinating people they have labeled militants. So again, you know, I ask, what has changed? <laughs>
3: <clears throat> yeah. Like I said, very little has changed it, except for they, what, what the powers that be has. Pushed us towards being more individual, uh, because, uh, a populace that is, that where everybody is just into their own individual thing is much easier to control than a populace that is a lot more communal like it was back in the 60s and 70s. So, uh, and, you know, it, it has created an illusion that things have changed because you have somebody like Oprah, because you have a black president because you have uh stars in Hollywood and you have blacks who are presidents of corporations. Uh you know, you would people, you know, automatically think because those things um, are there is that things have changed, but they haven't changed. Like I said, it's it's individually there are there are black people and other people of color that can get into certain positions, but it's gotten worse for the overall population of black people. Um, in uh, New York, there are 20,000 homeless children, and most of those homeless children are people of color. In New York in L.A., they have the second largest homeless encampment in the world. Brazil is first, but uh, L.A. is second. And, and uh, you know, 75% of those people are people of color. So um, <clears throat> you look at our educational system and what the dropout rate is, and, I mean, uh, black youth are, you know, they're building more prisons uh, than they are universities. And the prisons now have become, as you mentioned, are, are privatized. It's big money. Uh, so uh, there is very little incentive for the Congress or the Senate to want to change the laws that would be more fair to black and Latino men because now you're talking about money, you know, you're talking about dealing with interfering with their, their, their greed. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like I said, I, I, you know, they spend $750 more in the white suburbs per student, per white student than they do for. Black and Latino students. You know, that's a lot, that's a lot of money. They've closed, you know, like a thing in Chicago, they closed 60 schools in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. They've closed, uh, 30 or 40 schools and a lot of those inner city schools kids have to, you know, double up. They have to put grades together like fourth and fifth grade together. Uh, they don't have adequate books. They don't have the technology that they need. And, uh, that's the most important. Uh, thing that is affecting, uh, our community is, uh, and, and, and they've always done this, but when it was segregated, we had a little more control over that, but.
1: Well, I actually I had a question think. on that. I had, um, noted in your book, you said in your sophomore year as a volunteer, you volunteered, or, or your parents, y'all came to that decision yeah. that you were going to voluntarily be an integrator, uh, into the school mm-hmm. system, and, you know, and you, you know, ran into a brick wall of racism. And that was your rude yeah. awakening. And let me say, you know, I was um a elementary school kid in Detroit, and I was one of the first to be ripped out of my all-black school with my all-black teachers and administrators that I... You know, saw as family, and they treated me as if I were their son, and, and that was a rude awakening for me as well. You know, being put into this environment where people don't look like me, I'm no longer, you know, having cultural extra a act, uh, uh, curriculum activities and things of that nature. I surely miss singing the Black National Anthem whenever we had a, a assembly. All of that was just gone, and, and so mm-hmm. you know, then my aunt. Uh, down here in North Carolina, uh, in the little town we live in, uh, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, she was the first black person to be, you know, ripped out. Well, she said she was looking forward to joining my mother at the all black school called Reed High School. And, um but unfortunately she was sent to, you know, the all white school where she endured all kind of racist terrorism. Uh, people spitting at her, calling her niggers. Wouldn't let her, you know, sit down at lunch with the other kids. She had to sit with the teachers. And so, I mean, it it has been my cont- my contention that you know, uh, school integration is one of the worst things to ever happen, uh, to us as a people. And, and you know, most importantly for the things that you just mentioned. And so, this is the question that I have wrote down for you: Has school integration helped or hurt the black community? Has it achieved? Any of his stated goals of education, equality, and and you kind of answered that in part already.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, no, there's no doubt that it is, it has been a a, a big failure. Um, And integration as a whole has been a a, a big failure, you know. Um, It's kind of hard to understand why we as a people uh, in the 50s and 60s sought integration as a way towards some type of liberation. And even Martin Luther King said himself, you know, he's afraid that we're making a mistake. He's afraid that we're entering into a burning house. And that's that's pretty much what, what we did when we did move with that whole integration idea, is that we in, we integrated into something that was not um <clears throat> not just and and it, that, that that wasn't right and it didn't fit us and uh and we're paying the price now
1: i saw um a video today that kind of echoed some of my sentiments that i wrote about yesterday um in relation to this charter school this black charter school 90 percent you know student population is black it's on uh i think it was howard university um, and the teachers were, uh, a number of teachers, about eight teachers were fired for teaching these kids, uh, black history, you know, talking about Kwanzaa, mm-hmm. talking about, uh, uh, the deceased mayor, for, former mayor, Marion Berry, and, and, you know, that the principal, who is also black, um, you know, basically did this because it wasn't approved, you know, uh, curriculum for them to be teaching. Mm-hmm. And the children were upset and the parents were upset. And so, you know, I've heard people out there who try to say, "Well, maybe charter schools is a, is a way, you know, for us to to re, regain back control over the education of our children." Do you have any thoughts either way on that?
3: Well, you know, the charter schools are—it's it, a privatization, and anytime you privatize something that is public, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be uh, problems. Okay. And uh, you know, there's there's some really horrendous stories about some of the privatizing uh of the schools that's taking place in places like Chicago and Philadelphia, um, where there's no accountability uh for the teachers and the staff uh on how they treat the kids. They don't have services for kids that may need some special attention. So, um <clears throat> overall uh, privatization is not a good idea now there are some places uh, where you know people in the black community have you know been able to make you know some of these uh, charter schools work for them mm-hmm. and work for their community but overall mm-hmm. um, they haven't it has not been a good thing it's been a very detrimental thing.
1: You have any thoughts how Particularly when you have cities or counties that are uh, predominantly non-white, but we're still forced—we're still forced to, you know, give these children this this curriculum that, basically, in my opinion, is just indoctrinating them and not educating them. Indoctrinating them, teaching them how to be good little corporate citizens of America, um, uh, not teaching them anything about their own culture, but forcing, you know, quote unquote, American culture down their throats while leaving out the roles that black people, uh, played in building this country. And, and so, uh, is what, what do we need to do as a people to reverse that and take control uh, of this?
3: Well you know that that's one thing that Huey P Newton and the Black Panther Party always talked about was community control. And I, there's two major institutions that we really need to uh uh work towards controlling. That's the educational system and that's the police who patrol our community. Because uh it, it it doesn't make any sense for people to who don't live in our community or from our community to be driving through our community and calling themselves policing that community without any um responsibility to the people in the community. We had started a campaign in the party in around nineteen sixty nine. We're just getting ready to start this campaign called Community Control of Police. And we had started a petition. We're gonna have a petition drive and get it put on the ballots in a lot of different cities across the country. Uh one of the things it called for was that uh, that the people in the community would be responsible for the hiring and the firing and the discipline of the police patrolling their community and you could say the same thing for for the for the uh, for the schools you know it, it just makes sense that people in the community uh, should have a say so on how their children are being educated and how the teachers who the teachers are accountable to and, and they should have some responsibility on hiring the teachers as well. You know, hiring the best teachers that they could find to educate their kids. And, um, you know, they should have some say so in the, uh, what the money is spent for uh, on those schools, the type of supplies and, and, and all those things. Uh, you know, they used to have PTA used to be very strong. My mother was president of the PTA when I was in elementary school. So you did have have some, you know, people in the community who uh were exercising, you know, more control over the schools, but uh we don't have any of that now. And I, I think that's one that those are the things that we really uh should start pushing for is demanding control of the schools in our community and demanding for community control of police.
1: Um I want to bring uh, uh, up another excerpt uh, or passage from from your book. Again, we are speaking with Mr. Aaron Dixon about his book, My People Are Rising, Memoir of a Black Panther Party Captain, and of course, you know, we're looking at it also through the lens of current events. Um, You mentioned um, the revolution that occurred in uh, that was occurring in South and Central America. Um, I'm just read this passage. Revolution was also brewing in South and Central America as poor and oppressed Latin communities were tiring of the domination of American corporations and the exploitation of their people and land. Closer to home in Cuba, Fidel Castro marched into Havana and overthrew a Flugencio Batista, the U.S. supported tyrant who had allowed American businessmen to use Cuba as their personal whorehouse and casino. Um, Your thoughts on the recent announcement about the United States normalizing relations uh, <laughs> with Cuba. And it just came out the other day for Dale Castro, who has been in poor health, but he issued a statement himself that I'm going to paraphrase it where he basically said he does not uh, trust America, but is not opposed to uh peaceful relations. Your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think, in some degree, it was a uh a good move I think you know we we're, for most of us who have supported Cuba, we have always been calling for the embargo to be lifted and I know uh that's one of the things that um uh, Obama said he was going to do when he first got into office, but he ran into uh some opposition um so i'm 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 I'm, gr- I'm glad it's happened uh I think it could be a good thing but you know, Fidel is right. You can you can never trust the U.S. But I think the Cuban people are smart enough that they're they're smart enough where they're going to make this work for them. Uh, they're going to take the advantage of things that are important to them, and they're not going to uh, let certain things happen. So um, I have I faith that the Cuban people are going to, you know, be in control of this situation.
1: I know um I, I read a couple of days ago uh some of the thing details are coming out about uh what cuba is demanding in order to normalize these relations. Uh I mean they're still gonna allow the embassy, the US embassy to still be open and do some things, but they said uh basically that Guantanamo Bay must be turned mm-hmm. back over to the Cuban people, um and mm-hmm. that the United States um Uh, Pays reparations in in hundreds of millions of dollars for the damage uh, done to the Cuban economy by the embargo. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. See, that's right. They, uh, (laughs) Cuban people are no, uh, they're no patsies, they're no fools. They, uh, I mean, they sent 20,000, I think it was 20,000, uh, black Cubans. To Angola to stop the CIA's invasion along with, uh, South Africa into A- Angola and, uh, and was able to stop them and send them back home. So, um, you know, the, the Cuban government is one of the strongest, uh, governments in the world in terms of leftist, uh, uh, organizations and leftist governments in the world.
1: Now, you, you've already, we've already touched on police brutality, you know, uh, that was going on back then and uh what's going on today and the lack of accountability and you talked about the Panther Black Panther Party's uh, proposal to uh gain community control of the police but you know this particular passage in your book you said that you know you remember listening to the older teenagers in the neighborhood as they uh shared their battle stories of, of venturing out of you know the safe zone the central district where where they lived and, uh, going to these other, uh, communities and, and. You know being attacked, and you know I had just wrote about my own experience in another article you know as a uh I think I was like eleven years old and me and some of my older cousins had walked outside our community I had found a a brand new baseball cap had it on then we came across this this baseball team had the same kind of cap and instead of them asking us you know where did you find the cap they accused us of stealing the cap and started chasing us with baseball bats <laughs> and and calling us mm-hmm. niggers and we had to run literally run for our lives. And and so I mean just mm-hmm. reading this book, I mean I could just identify it with so much because I experienced the same things, you know, it coming up in the seventies because I was born in sixty six. Okay, but but then you go on and you mention, you know, this one unsettling story. I'm going to read it. Always carry a bat with you, they said, and be ready to run. Then there was the unsettling story of the black lady raped by a gang of white policemen with nothing ever said or done about it, which created a sense of helplessness in our young minds. Mr. Dixon, I kind of get that feeling with some of our youth today, if not a majority of the youth today. And, I'm like, you know, I took issue with, and I know why they started the whole hands up, you know, symbolism and putting their hands up, don't shoot. I mean, that was to highlight, you know, Michael Brown had his hands up and was surrendering uh when he was murdered, okay, by Darren Wilson. But now it is, in my opinion, morphing into something else. I saw Representative Uh, out of Georgia who replaced uh, Cynthia McKinney out of that district, you know, tweeting from the grave site of Martin Luther King with his hands up, telling people to take the hands up challenge. And that to me was like so disturbing of an image because to me it's, it's again, hands up is the sign of surrender. And so it's like to me, communicating a message of powerlessness, of of surrendering and you know, so I, I just really had issues with that and I do feel like a lot of these youth do feel feel helpless so to speak. I mean what what have you been gauging your thoughts? You know, I, I know you do uh work in schools and things of that nature through various programs. What what are you getting from the youth? Okay, looks like we lost uh Mr. Dixon, the phone dropped. Let me see if I could get him back on the line. See, call failed. All right. Uh, Apologies. Somehow we lost this connection. I'm going to see if we can get him back. You're listening to Black Talk Radio, the live drive at 5. Please bear with us as we try to reconnect uh, with our guest, Mr. Dixon. We'll be right back.
2: Lyndon Johnson, he can always raise an argument about law and order because he never talks about justice. But black people fall for that same argument, and they go around talking about lawbreakers. We did not make the laws in this country. We are neither morally nor legally confined to those laws. Those laws that keep them up keep us down. you got to begin to understand that. For 400 years, he taught you white nationalism, and you left it up. You taught it to your children. You had your children thinking that everything black was bad. Black cows don't give good milk. Black hens don't lay eggs. Black for funerals, white for weddings. That's white nationalism. Santa Claus. A white honky who slides down a black chimney and comes out white. We can not equate progress with concessions. We can no longer make that mistake. You see, when they gave us that nigga astronaut, you said we were making progress, but I told you they were going to lose him in space. He didn't get that far. You put Adam Clayton Powell in office and you couldn't keep him. What do you think they're going to do with Thurgood Marshall when they get tired of him?
1: All right, we are back. Uh, I don't know what happened. Um, these things <laughs> do occur sometimes. Uh, I don't want to talk about any conspiracy theories, but yeah, these things happen. I'm glad you were able to call back. Um, I don't know how much you heard before we got caught off, got cut off.
3: Yeah, but, yeah. You're were, you're were saying about the uh, hands up? Yes. Don't you?
1: Yes, yes. And, and that I thought that it sent, you know, an uh, image of powerlessness, of surrendering to, you know, our condition of what's happening. And, you know, I think it has been distorted. I, I believe that it originally was started as a way to highlight that you know uh Michael Brown was murdered with his hands up but now you know it's become this universal symbol that's being copied by a US congressmen and i just found that very troubling but you know in your book you were talking about that instance where nothing was done about those police a gang of white policemen who raped that black lady and the helplessness that it created in our young minds is what you wrote. Uh Do you get the sense that that's the same kind of feeling that our youth are experiencing today with seeing all these killer cops get off?
3: Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think they do have a, a, a feeling almost of, of helplessness.
4: <laughs>
3: and, um, I'm hoping that, you know, that, that they will evolve and, and realize that they have to take a, a, a stronger stance and come, come up with something that is stronger. Cause I remember, uh, you know, singing, we shall overcome. And then I remember later thinking, what the heck were we doing singing, we shall overcome? Um, but, but, you know, we have to understand that the movement is a process. You know, you, you, you have to start somewhere. You have to start where the level you are where you're at and uh, and evolve and keep on moving because the movement doesn't go from A to Z, it's the A, B, C, D. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, as things move forward that they will begin to realize that, uh, you know, they have to come up with other, other strategies. And I'm hoping that, um, that they do get around to understanding that uh, maybe community control of police is, is what we really should be organizing towards because that, that's a matter of going out in the community and doing a lot of hard work, going door to door and uh, talking to people and, and getting people to understand that this is something that we have to do and get this petition signed and get it put on the ballot and get out and vote and make it a reality.
1: Um, Most definitely. Um. I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, like I've heard a lot of people, including Oprah Winfrey, criticize these young people and, you know, in the public, in the media, while doing nothing, in my opinion, to lend any resources to the movement or give them, you know, her platform. She has her own television station called OWN, you know, Oprah Winfrey Network, but I've yet to see any of these young people being invited on. Uh, But anyway... Mm -hmm. Um, the thing is, oh, in the chapter, in, in the chapter of your book, uh, Stokely comes to town and, you know, you talk about the civil rights movement initially led by black southern ministers slowly begin to hear other voices, voices of young black men and women who were starting to question the tactic of nonviolent protests. And, you know um again it's a process and i've been trying to get across to people you know don't this 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 movement we see in the streets now it's only a few months old you know it's only yep. like three mm-hmm. four five months old in the civil rights movement and the black power movement which emerged out of that was not built in a year was not built in two years but it is something that 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 you know matured over time and and but i see mr dixon i see a concerted effort by the establishment and when i say establishment i'm talking about the united states government through various organizations uh, uh like teach for america uh, uh through you know celebrities like oprah winfrey you know telling people oh if you want to see how it's done come buy a ticket to to selma you know, and but you mentioned in this chapter about, you know, uh you mentioned Stokely Carmichael and H. Rap Brown, who's the current political prisoner right now. Um, But yeah, and, and addressing the concerns of the emerging youth movement that was gradually picking up steam. And I feel like there is a concerted effort to keep a Stokely Carmichael or H. Rap Brown from emerging from this new generation. Your thoughts?
3: Oh yeah, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that that um, they don't want that to happen, and uh, they'll do everything they can to keep that. Um, and I think Al Sharpton has contributed to that in many ways. Um, whenever, whenever anything like this happened that a black youth was shot or killed, Al Sharpton was always there to contain it and keep it. You know, in a, um, just in a passive, very passive way. Um, but, uh, I don't think he was able to do that in, in Ferguson. Um, but, you know, uh, we have to be aware of that. You know, we have to be aware of that. And, uh, you know, if, if there are people out there who are going to emerge, who are going to be new leaders, uh, that it's gonna happen. And, you know, uh, short of killing him, there's nothing else that they can do. Of course, that's what they did with Fred Hampton. That's what they did with Bunchie Carter. And, of course, Fred Hampton was gonna be the next great leader of black America. Mm-hmm. And they assassinated him. Uh, I think in many ways, Tukey Williams could have been a tremendous leader for black America.
1: And, uh, one of the founders of uh, uh, Crips, who was, uh, executed. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and and
1: it was, uh, <clears throat>
3: he was executed by the governor of, uh, California who easily and should have given him a pardon, but he chose not to <clears throat> because he recognized what Tukey Williams was, um, how dangerous a person like Tukey Williams <clears throat> was to raising the consciousness of, of gang members and many other youth of color
1: you know the same has been said um there was a book the fbi's war against black leaders um ah, it's been so long since i read that book but it mentioned tupac uh tupac shakur mm-hmm. you know um his his uh uncle uh Matula Shakur is a former member of the Black Panther Party, current political prisoner, uh right now, but they said that, you know, Tupac was was moving back towards those revolutionary roots and they feared him as a person that could unite the gangs, you know, against the system, stop the violence and, and politicize them in a way. And some people believe, including the author of that book who, uh, you know, I'm getting brain freeze and I can't remember his name right now, but, you know, he he said that Tupac was a victim of, of the continuation of COINTELPRO. You no,
3: know, there's a good possibility of that. I wouldn't doubt that because uh, one thing that Tupac, was able to do that nobody else really could do was bridge the gap between his generation and my generation. And he was always talking about the party. He was always talking about leaders of the Black Panther Party. And he he had a an innate understanding of that movement that a lot of young people just did not have. And uh and I think very you know, he was he was kind of going back and forth between, you know, the gangs and, and revolutionary concepts. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that he would have played a big role, a very important role, into helping a new develop a new movement develop
1: one uh, on on the, in the same vein of the um assassinations of these young black leaders that was rising through you know the Black Panther party and uh, others, others as well. You know, if they weren't assassinated, then they were in prison, you know, through COINTELPRO. But, mm-hmm. you know, while it may not be called COINTELPRO, I think everything COINTELPRO was doing is now made legal through the Patriot Act, which you, you know, mm-hmm. call for the repeal yeah. of as a Green Party Senate candidate. You call for the uh, uh, repeal of the Patriot Act. and And so, but. On that vein of, you know, uh, assassinations, political assassinations, there is a Twitter um, account that I came across and what this doing, what this Twitter account is doing is called Faces of the Movement and it's tweeting out the photos of these young uh, people who are involved in this movement and I tweeted at them and I said, be careful. I was like, you don't want to be putting their faces out there or their personal information out there for them to become targets. I mean, you already got this one prosecutor who in, um, I think it's Minnesota. Uh, at the Mall of America, there was a large protest that shut that mall down and she was like pouring over social media, had the, you know, police and everything, going over social media, going over past media interviews (laughs) to identify the people who organized that so that she could charge them with crimes. And so I think that with the lack of of knowledge among this generation about COINTELPRO and the tactics used to destroy the black power movement that they are setting themselves up to fall right into that same trap by readily identifying themselves like that. Your, your thoughts? Maybe I'm just being paranoid.
3: Oh, yeah. No, no, you're not. And oh, uh, uh, and that's, you know, when you ask me, well, what is the difference between then and now is, uh, those laws from the Patriot Act and a lot of other laws that, that we don't even know about that have been enacted and the fact that we've become a surveillance state and, you know, they have cameras everywhere and, and we under, we're under constant, constant surveillance and, and, uh, and that we have social media, which also allows, uh, people to know what we're doing and, and where we're doing it at. So, um, we, yeah, these young people have really got to, you know, really be careful because, you know, they could end up all locked up. They could just kill the whole movement by locking, you know, a lot of these, the leaders of, of, of the, uh, movement up.
1: Before it gets started, uh, really. Yeah. All All right. Well, you know, um, I want to thank you for joining us today and I mean I have a lot more questions but our time of course is limited and you're a very busy man but I certainly uh, would like to, you know, have you back on the program, and of course we have to have you come on Political Prisoner Radio to talk about, you know, uh, uh all of these people that are being tortured on the prison plantations as political prisoners, but you know, before you leave us, is there any, you know, thoughts that you would like to leave the listeners with to take away, to stick in their mind if nothing else we've discussed sticks in their mind?
3: Uh Yeah, that you know, that uh, whatever it is that we want for our community, we have to fight for it. We want better schools. We want control of our schools. we got to fight for it. If we want to end police brutality and murder of uh, black people and Latinos, we're going to have to fight for it. And uh, uh, we, we have to think about the future. You know, they're going to... Uh, they, young people are going to look back and say, well, what did they do? And if we didn't do anything, then that's on us. If we do something, if we step out and, and decide that we are going to fight back and we organize and we dedicate ourselves to uh, to struggle and changing the condition, then we're going to be remembered for that. But if we do nothing, then we're going to be remembered for that as well.
1: I certainly agree with that. Well, again I want to remind the listeners uh to check out the book. I have linked to the book My People Are Rising Memoir of a Black Panther Party Captain. Again, I'm I'm still going through the book, uh but again, it, it when you read these things, it's a way for us to learn. To learn, you know, what was done in the past, the things that they were facing in the past. And then that way it can help us to identify the same pitfalls today. And so, uh, you know, I want to thank you, Mr. Dixon for, you know, making this resource. Cause I call it a resource. It's more than a book. Yeah. It's a resource.
3: That's why, that's why I wrote the book. That's why I wrote that. The main reason why I wrote that book is, is for young people to, Learn what we went through, and learn the mistakes that we made, and learn uh, about the positive things that were able to for us to be so successful.
1: Well, again, we certainly want to have have you back. Um, again, as I read this book, um, I already know that I'm have important questions to ask you, so we will be getting back in touch with you. You know, in a month or so, to have you back, and we hope that you will come back and, and share your insights with us.
3: I would love to. I would love to.
1: All right, Mr. Dixon, you have a blessed day, sir, and be safe. All right. Thank you. You too. All right, that was um Mr. Aaron Dixon. We had some technical difficulties in getting connected with him. Uh also lost him during the interview, but of course he uh called right back in. I really appreciate that. And um I'm 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 still, you know, I I think I'm like halfway through the book, but I jumped ahead to certain chapters uh to see what they were talking about cuz it seemed like, you know, it kind of like coincided or was a mirror of what is happening today. And again, I, I keep telling people how much progress have we made. Yeah, we got the right to vote and voting is important. And they're even trying to take that away from us. But look at who we have voted for and look at who we have elected. You know, John Lewis was a member of SNCC before joining the uh uh Dr. King in the Civil Rights Movement. Well, in my opinion, uh Mr. Lewis has forgotten what he went through. He forgot what black people were going through and he's now a member of the oppressing group who is voting for this legislation that has militarized the police that are Funding the drug war and not taking any kind of principle stand. And so that is why some people say, you know, why vote? Why waste your time voting? You know, because this is what we're going to get. We're going to get people who go in thinking they're going to change the system and then they become part of the system. You know, that's the cynical way of looking at it. I would say that you we should need to expand our let's say strategy of taking that route and i always believe in multi-strategies you know multi-prong attacks never put your eggs all in one basket so to speak but if we are going to take that route then it's going to have to be by way of another party like the green party uh maybe creating parties. i think new york has the uh, freedom party uh, for black people and, and, and brown people, I can't remember the exact name of that party. Um, I live here in North Carolina. I voted for a Libertarian, all right, because the Libertarian was the only one able to get, you know, enough signatures in the state to get on the ballot, and that was a uh, Gary. I can't, I can't recall his name. Um, yeah, but anyway, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for the party. I voted to. Mix the system up because now because enough people voted for the third party, this was in 2012, he was running for president, I remember, I voted for him. I had seen enough from President Obama. I had seen enough from the Democratic Party to know that, you know, that we were being led by the nose and that there was going to be no substantial change. And so if I'm going to use my vote, I'm going to make it count by voting for a third party candidate for president. And then hopefully if he gets enough votes, now the Libertarian Party, which he did, now the Libertarian Party has ballot access. I'm not a Libertarian. Although I do agree with some of the things they put forth, okay, um, but I'm not a libertarian. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. But I think that is where we need to focus our efforts on. We got to come out from under this Democratic Party, and we know the Republican Party ain't for us. And they're trying to do outreach to the Black community. These two parties conspire with each other to keep third parties off the ballot to to you know keep a monopoly on the system. And so, you know, the Green Party uh, again. Mister Dixon ran for the Green Party as a mem uh, a Senate candidate in Washington. Uh, Cynthia McKinney ran for president uh, on the Green Party ticket, along with uh um uh, what's the sister name? I can't recall her name for some reason. I'm getting brain freeze, y'all. Um um, the uh, Black Latino sister. Um, I was just talking to her the other day, and I can't remember Rosa Clemente. I'm sorry, Rosa Clemente was the right vice president. And so, you know, there are other alternatives if that's the avenue that we want to want to go. Why keep voting for the Democrats when you get nothing from the Democrats? You get a president like Bill Clinton who works with Republicans to pass three strikes laws, you know, to lock up our our, our young men and women for life. You know, things of that like that is going on. So uh, they say to keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting this, different results is insanity. Well, it, it is time for some healing, people. It is time for us to stop, you know, doing things over and over, knowing that they will not work and, and work towards, you know, some alternative uh, things that we hope will lead to a solution again. I understand why people don't vote. I understand because look at the corruption. Look at these people who look like us who go in there and vote right alongside of our enemies on things that's going to destroy us. That's maintaining the system of white supremacy that is maintaining the 13th Amendment style slavery and all of that militarizing these police. And then, you know, they were like, Hank Johnson, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be picking on him, but he wants to propose this grand jury reform bill that don't amount to a hill of beans. Number one, there is such a thing called state rights, and you can't force them to abandon their jury system. You know, that's something people need to work on at the state level if they want to change the grand jury system. But he tries to tie it to the funds. Well, if you don't do this, you know, we'll give you more federal funds if you adopt this policy. Well, again, that's the problem right there is you're giving this system all of this money to enslave us, to militarize the police. So how is that a solution? It's not. It's not, and we extended the invitation out to Mr. Hank Johnson so he could come on and explain the bill. Maybe it's something I'm not getting to have that conversation, but y'all know how we roll on the Black Talk Radio Network. We are not your uh, traditional uh, uh, media. We don't softball it. We ask tough questions, all right? We try to get to the meat of the matter. And, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that certain people do not want to come on this program where I'm opening it up by saying I'm broadcasting from behind enemy lines. Well, I'm not going to lie to those who tune in to this broadcast to hear, hear, you know, the guests that I bring on, the information that I disseminate that, you know, wants to hear my view on things and share their views. No, I'm not going to, I'm not in this to make money. I'm not trying to become the next Steve Harvey or Tom Joyner. No, I did not start the Black Talk Media Project to become a millionaire, to become a media mogul. No, I did not. I went into this as I saw a need in an area that our people were lacking. And that's why I'm doing this. And that's why I built the platform. So, yeah, I understand that some of these people, they don't want to come on and talk to, you know, talk to me. On this program, because, you know, I'm not going to be softballing questions to them. I'm going to ask real questions and I'm going to point out if I, you know, if I see something that's wrong, like, you know, how does appointing special prosecutors going to solve anything when we see special prosecutors get appointed and they still play defense attorney for the killer cop? So perhaps Mr. Johnson doesn't want to answer those hard questions and why he continues to ignore our requests. So anyway, that's enough on my little mini rant there. Um, I want to get into some of the news. I want to revisit what I said yesterday about Loretta Lynch, the U.S. attorney uh, who is, has been nominated to become the U.S. Attorney General. And she's going through the confirmation process right now. And I, I just want to revisit that. Because I, you know, had read some more up on her and, you know, she says the right things in terms of what they call in mass incarceration. Um, she said that we can't just keep locking these, you know, young people up and throwing away the key. And so then I had, you know, after I found that information, I'm like wondering, is she just telling these, these racist white males from the South what they want to hear on, 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 uh, cannabis legalization for y'all they don't know i don't use the word marijuana because it has roots in racism okay um do your research and so i you know i don't use that word when i that's why i say cannabis i'm talking about weed i'm talking about pot and so i want to revisit what i had to say uh yesterday uh about her and her statements to the uh senate confirmation panel uh also Uh, Other news to share out of Africa that I normally, I I guess I don't get into enough uh, news going on on the African continent. i like to share some of that. And then last but not least, I meant to go into this yesterday, um, and this pertains to something I just said about the Democratic Party, but Senator Rand Paul, uh, who considers himself a libertarian conservative, um, had comments on Libya and Hillary Clinton that I thought was nothing but the truth. That, uh, lots of people need to hear what he said, but a lot of people are ignoring it just because he has this label of libertarian or Republican or Tea Party or whatnot. Look, truth is truth no matter who speaks it. The, sp- the truth uh, stands alone. And so, you know, I've been getting a lot of attacks from some of these racist suspects who support Hillary Clinton um, for putting out this video. And so I didn't put it out. I just copied it, and then I edited it to include the visual of Gaddafi being murdered by these rabid Arab dogs in libya um and and then you know, um, it was something else oh liber- uh, Hillary Clinton's reaction to hearing about his murder and and so again, you got a lot of people right now. It's automatically assumed that Hillary Clinton is going to be the Democratic nominee. They haven't even had a convention yet. Um, nobody else from the Democratic party has thrown their ring, their hat into the ring. Well, we keep hearing about all these Republicans, Mitt Romney, Jeb Bush, uh, what's, what's the other, the preacher guy, Mike Huckabee, even Sarah Palin old dense self, you know, and, but it's like on the Democratic side, Oh, wait a minute. What happened to the democratic process of nominating a nominee and then having to, you know, go through that? It's like they already giving it to her because she is a racist white supremacist psychopath who has proven that she is all about continuing global white supremacy. So I definitely want to. Uh, play those comments I am going to take a break and then we'll come back I will get into all that I just stated if you have a comment or a question uh, about the interview we just did or any thoughts any news you would like to share uh, the telephone number is 530-881-1400 access code five four nine pound hit star six and the number one on the keypad and that will uh, alert me and I'll get your commentary all right, we will be right back.
4: You see, that's—I mean—that's another thing. When you talk about a revolution, most people think violence, um, without realizing that the real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the in in the principles and the goals that you're striving for not in the way you reach them on the other hand uh, because of the way this society is organized because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions you have to expect things like that as reactions if you are a black person and live in, 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 in the black community all your life and walk out on the street every day seeing white policemen surrounding you. I, When I was living in Los Angeles, for instance, long before the situation in L.A. ever occurred, uh, I was constantly stopped. No, the, the police didn't know who I, who I was, but I was a black woman. I had, had a natural, and, and they, I suppose, thought that I might be a, quote, militant. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, um, uh, and then and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence, I mean that just doesn't make any sense at all.
1: You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradio.network.com. And welcome back to the Black Talk Radio live drive at five. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm in on this mic from behind these enemy lines called the United States of America. Now, um, I already mentioned at the top of the program, in case you did not hear the charges being dismissed against, uh, former Detroit squad team leader, Joseph Weekly, who shot and killed, uh, seven year old Ayana Jones. Uh, we covered that extensively, had different people that was involved in the movement for justice on the program. Uh, that's been a couple of years, and it's been an ongoing fight. And um, in case you missed it, um, the prosecutor, Wayne County prosecutor, um, Kim Worthy, um, is not going to retry this guy uh, after the state uh, dropped dismissed charges of manslaughter against him, and the remaining charges, she just decided, oh, we tried twice, and we got a, you know, deadlock jury, so we're not going to try anymore. So, again, you know, to quote Robert Williams, he said, it's cases like these that cause violence. All right, so I'll leave it at that. Um, I want to, um, Gary Johnson was the name of the Libertarian presidential candidate in 2012, that I wasn't really voting for him, but I was voting to get a third party on the ballot in North Carolina cause, you know, tired of these Democrats and Republicans having everything on lock. And, um, I thought it'd be interesting to see third party, uh, enter into the fray. Uh, so again, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans play us and, uh, they have a monopoly on politics in this country, you know, uh, allowing us only, you know, two choices. You know, frick or frack. You know, evil or less evil. Well, all evil is evil. So I don't that doesn't even make sense. The lesser of two evils. Evil is evil. So anyway, um, yeah. I wanted to return to my commentary yesterday about uh US attorney uh Loretta Lynch, who is uh undergoing confirmation hearings right now. And her comments about how she was going to, you know, I took it as go out of her way to enforce federal cannabis laws and, you know, be locking up people and, and stuff like that and violating states' rights. Uh, she did not commit to the current policy of leaving those states alone and, and you know, whatnot. So uh I labeled her as a supporter of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. Now, Since that time, I found another article uh, with some quotes from her where she was talking about, you know, the justice system, locking up all these people and throwing the key away. And so I I just want to acknowledge that it's totally possible that this woman was just telling them the racist Senator Lindsey Graham and Jeff Sessions out of Alabama, uh, telling them what they wanted to hear. You know, cause they seem to get excited. Uh, they're mentioning another proxy of the system. Uh, what was her name? Um, the DEA head, Michelle Leonhardt and saying, well, she, she stood up to President Obama and those with that view in the Justice Department. In my opinion, she shouldn't even still have a job. If I was President Obama, she'd have been fired on the spot or Eric Holder. How dare you, uh, how dare you mount such a public display of insubordination All right, you ain't with the program then get out the program that's how I would have handled it but you know I'm not him so anyway but I just want to acknowledge that it's possible that she's trying to stealth her way into the position and that you know she may be down for some reforms but as me and my new abolitionist friends say you know you can't reform slavery you have to abolish it And it starts with amending the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution so that it mirrors the UN Declaration of Human Rights that says that slavery in all its forms uh, shall be abolished. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, The African Union confirmed, and I just heard uh, I was listening Sunday night to Time for Awakening right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And um uh, Brother Obi, I can't remember his last name. First time I heard the brother speak, um, but he's a Pan-Africanist. And he was talking about uh, Robert Mugabe, who is the president of Zimbabwe. And he was saying how there needs to be support to lift the sanctions on Zimbabwe that these global white supremacists have put on that country simply because they dare to take their land back from those those racist white settlers and to redistribute that land back to its original owners the people the native inhabitants of Zimbabwe and so they put sanctions on on Zimbabwe and he was talking about you know Zimbabwe needs our help and that we should be just like we're demanding Uh, the sanctions or the embargo be lifted on Cuba, uh, which he strongly encouraged people to do. Uh, But he also said we need to be doing the same thing for Zimbabwe. And that's just not something we're hearing. Again, you know, we got the right to vote, but who have we elected? You know, we've elected proxy races, tools of the system that go along with it. That, you know, they vote the interests of the corporations that are funding their campaign war chest so uh, again you know uh, yeah i think the right to vote is important but if we're not putting in the right people because we're locked into the democratic party and whatnot and and you know then that's not serving us anything so there needs to be a new movement for a new party that represents you know the interests of the oppressed because the Democratic party ain't it And we know the GOP ain't it. So why do we want to keep doing, you know, the same thing over and over, expecting different results? But anyway, um, the African Union has uh, nominated uh, Robert Mugabe. Well, he was actually confirmed to the Post. And these ads are getting in the way. Give me just a moment. Uh, He is the chairman now of the African Union. Union, and they saying in this article that it is a largely ceremonial role, and he was uh confirmed on Friday at a african union union summit um let me see, and they're calling for global action against boko Haram uh but Robert Mugabe um has said that the African Union needs to to handle this. this is on their continent. Um. Yeah. You know. And so, whether it's ceremonial or not, it does give him a platform. It does give him a platform to put his propaganda out into the spirit. And you know, everything is propaganda. If it's communicating an ideal, if it's communicating a ideology or political perspective, or it's it's all propaganda. Some propaganda is positive some of it is negative it depends on who it's aimed at and what that propaganda is saying and so yeah it is a good propaganda position for Mugabe who has consistently been a uh, outspoken a uh, leader on the continent of Africa against the uh imperialism and the recolonization Uh, Africa. So, you know, that's a good thing. I look at it as a a good thing. And the African Union is planning to deploy a 7,500 strong multinational force to fight the radical Islamist militia blamed for the mass killings in in Nigeria. Uh, I think they've also attacked people in in Kenya and whatnot. And uh, so, yeah, that's a good thing. Now, of course, he had his critics within the uh, African Union who are in the pockets of these Western corporations who are in the pockets of the United Nations, who are in the pockets of the, you know, uh American government, and so, yeah, they wanted to say bad things about him and saying that this one guy who was unnamed said that it's not a very encouraging sign. The Mugabe style belongs to a past generation, the one that takes power hostage. And this is no longer the African Union creed. All right. So here's my thoughts. The African Union has been pretty much um not doing what it should do in defending the sovereignty of Africa from the encroachment of these Europeans attempt to recolonize the land and and ripping off its resources uh Liberia for example Liberia was in the news a lot for Ebola but what was flying under the the radar is that Liberia I think struck gold or was it oil black gold we'll call it black gold and they found huge oil deposits and the article that I read said that they the Liberian government signed an agreement to turn over the development of those resources over to Western corporations and that they will only get 5% of what is pulled out the ground. Now that is just, excuse my language, ass backwards. This is resources that belong to the people. How in the heck can you allow corporations to take 95% of the profits? How about, you know, uh, uh, obtaining loans if you don't have the equipment or, you know, attaining the expertise and then, you know, developing your own stuff. It may not happen overnight, but come on, come on, 5%, you getting 5% and the corporations is getting 95%. Western white supremacist corporations. See, that's the backward ass stuff that I be seeing going on in Africa. And then you got, Some Africans, that want to point fingers at black people in America as our minds being colonized. You know, I'm all for unity, but I know we cannot unify with everybody. I'm just a realist on that. And that's just a shame. And so, again, I I think it is a good sign that they elected, you know, uh, Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe to, they can call it ceremonial all they want to, but it gives him a platform to speak out against global white supremacy so i'm all for that you know and speaking of the african union and the development of africa you know i want to play these comments that senator rand paul made about libya and what the united states did to libya and and specifically hillary clinton's role in it since he is the presumed uh democratic nominee for president in 2016 but you know Gaddafi, I don't care what, well, you know, I heard people talk bad about Gaddafi saying he's a Berber or he's an Arab and stuff. Look, Gaddafi was pulling that sweet crude oil out the ground and was investing it, it not only into his own country, Libya, made it the most developed African nation on the continent, but he was also investing in infrastructure projects and other African nations. He also launched Africa's first communication satellite that would then allow them to get out from under these Western corporations using their satellites for a mobile phone service, where they're charging the people uh, uh, outrageous prices. Okay. Then he also proposed a African currency backed by what? Backed by gold. Remember, the United States used to be on the gold standard where their dollars were backed by their gold reserves. Now it's just funny money. It's fiat currency, as they call it. dollars. And that's, you know, and, and, and they depend on people using the American dollar, other nations using the American dollar to trade their oil. That's the only thing that's giving this paper funny money any value is that it's being used to trade in oil with. That's why they took out Saddam. He threatened to stop using the dollar to trade Iraqi oil. He wasn't accepting any more dollars, U.S. dollars. They took him out. Same thing that, that Gaddafi was proposing. A number of other countries also. So yeah, that's one of the reasons, among the reasons that they took Gaddafi out. Um, but I'm going to give you my commentary about why they really took them out, you know, because it ties into what you're seeing going on in Iraq and Syria right now. Let me find that news clip. I'm, I'm sure I didn't delete it. Uh, let me see clips. Uh, let me see. Well, I'm going to have to play the uh, audio to the video, so let me just pull it up on YouTube.
0: Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I asked people on Twitter to, to submit questions for
3: you, NH Yank. Uh, He wants to know, how would you deal with violence here and abroad if you were elected president?
4: I think the biggest
0: thing is, like Hillary's war in Libya, was a huge disaster. Not only are we more at risk from attacks from radical Islam because they toppled Qaddafi's government, we sent an awful message to Iran. Qaddafi gave up his nuclear weapons, we promised we wouldn't get rid of him, and then we did. So what kind of message does that send to Iran if they were to give up their nuclear weapons, which we want them to do, you wonder why they might be a little bit wary of that after they saw what happened to Gaddafi. So Hillary's war was a disaster in Libya. There are weapons everywhere, jihadists everywhere. But it was also a disaster on the international stage because it sent a terrible message to Iran.
3: the land of unconfirmed yes. we came we saw
4: <laughs> he died <laughs> did
1: it have anything to do with your visit no I'm sure it did there was uh, the sociopath uh, war criminal Hillary Clinton laughing about the murder of this man and you heard them shouting a la Akbar and firing their weapons in the, in the air and Rand, Rand Paul he is the second one to hint at what the real reason they you know overthrew the libyan government i want you to know that libya was a partner was a ally of the united states so-called war on terror except for libya was fighting a real war on terror all right um he was the first one to issue an indictment or arrest warrant, a international arrest warrant for Osama bin Laden for the bombing of African embassies on the continent. All right. And people were killed. Africans were killed. He was going after Al Qaeda for that before the United States. All right. He had those. And, and let's not play games. I know the United States likes to use the specter of radical Islamists as a scare tactic to get you to support things like the Patriot Act, to get you to support things like uh, NSA, massive illegal spying and things of that nature. But let's not pretend like there isn't a real uh, threat uh, in these other countries like Africa, like in the Middle East, where they're killing innocents. You know, and, and practicing their radical brand of Islam. So I don't want to pre- people to pretend like that isn't a real thing because it is a real thing. We've seen it happening here recently with the kidnap of those 300 girls, you know, that nobody's really talking about anymore, uh, who haven't all been found. So yeah, it is a real thing. And, and, and Gaddafi had them people in check in his country. A lot of them was in prison. All right. And so what the United States did to further their geo geopolitical goal of destabilizing Syria was to overthrow Libya so that then they could liberate the Libyan weapons to put in the hands of these jihadists so that they can then spread those weapons to, you know, their brothers in Syria. And then now, you know, they're in Iraq in Syria and Iraq calling themselves ISIL or whatnot. And, and so that was the the United States engineered all of that you know it's called the Hegelian dialect is when you create a problem and then come in like you got the solution to the problem and i read today that that president obama is calling for an increase in defense spending uh So, yeah, they created this problem in the Middle East right now, Northern Africa. They created this problem, and now they are acting like, oh, we got the solution, more defense spending so that we can occupy more countries and kill more people with our drones and things of that nature. It was all engineered. Now, you want to talk about a humanitarian crisis, that's what Susan Rice said. That's what President Obama went on TV talking about. Oh, Gaddafi's going to slaughter all these innocent people in Benghazi. no he he was not that is not what he said all right and in american news media as it always does goes along with the program and putting out false information via you know their news networks and provided this false report and then everybody was like yeah we gotta say them people come on now come on now all right now look what has happened All right. So they claim that they was going in there to save these people from being slaughtered. But then after uh, you destroy the Libyan government, you assassinate its leader through proxies. And then you stand back and watch why these rabid dogs then start hunting down and slaughtering Africans, Africans, jealous of those Africans because they had, you know, were protected by the libyan government and were given jobs allowed to come in and work and get some of that free health care and you know all the other benefits that he was providing to the people and so these racist arab dogs started hunting them down and slaughtering them now look at you allegedly went in there to stop a slaughter but then you stood back while those you rescued from slaughter started slaughtering people That's why I say Hillary Clinton doesn't care about black people, all right? Remember George Bush, Kanye West said that about George Bush as they stood back and watched the waters rise in New Orleans, you know, and all these people down there drowning, needing help and whatnot. Yeah. George Bush doesn't care about black people. That's what Kanye West said. And I'm saying the same thing about Hillary Clinton for all of you black people who may have thoughts about voting for the so-called lesser of two evils. This woman is more evil than any Republican candidate they throw up there. She is more, vastly more evil Remember when, when Israel was bombing the heck out of Gaza and killing all them innocent men, women, and children? I mean, we were seeing pictures of dead babies on the beach. All right. And, and when people were criticizing Israel for its barbarity, what did Hillary Clinton say? Y'all remember what she said? Oh, the only reason they're criticizing Israel is cause they're anti-Semitists which don't even make sense. I am, not anti-language is what Semite means. It it belongs to a family of African languages. So you can't be uh, anti-Semite unless you're talking about wiping out languages. But yeah, that's what she used. That's what she said. Oh, this is just illegitimate criticism based in anti-Semitism. This woman is a killer. She is a psychopath. She is more dangerous than any man alive right now who is positioning themselves to become the next president of the United States. I think she overcompensates a lot to show that I can be just as evil, just as ruthless, just as brutal as any man on the planet. This woman is sick. Did y'all not just hear her wicked laugh hearing about this man's death? My God, that's worse than what John McCain did the other day in calling those people, those protesters, uh, who were protesting against the the mass-murdering criminal mastermind, Henry Kissinger, called them low-life scum. That's worse than that. That's more inappropriate than that. This woman is crazy, y'all. I'm trying to tell you. This woman is a sociopath, and she took credit for it. Did that have anything to do with you? Well, I'm sure it did. Ha <laughs> ha That's a sick person. That person right there belongs in an asylum for the criminally insane. That's Hillary Clinton. That's who the Democrats about to throw up as the undisputed or uncontested nominee of the Democratic Party. And they got million they got all millions of non white people locked in to vote for this psychopath who stood by along with the rest of the administration. Let's not just pin it all on her, but along with the rest of the administration stood by and watched tens of thousands of Africans be slaughtered in Libya. All so that they could liberate those Libyan weapons and put them in the hands of these jihadists, jihadists, so that they could create Further instability in Syria and Iraq, so that they then can justify spending more of your tax dollars on the military-industrial complex. I don't know. I, I I just don't understand why people don't see this. And when again, I you know, Ron Paul said what he said, and I took that comment because it was on point. It was on. It was the truth, even though he didn't make it plain. But for those who who know political speak then you were able to read in between the lines of what he was saying. That this woman is a psychopathic murderer who assisted terrorists in Libya to overthrow a Libyan government who had given up its weapons of mass destruction to protect itself, which they should have never done. But they gave them up, were fighting these terrorists, and then you turn around and you attack your ally because you was never their ally. When are people going to learn that these racist white supremacists speak with forked tongues? Ain't that what the Native Americans say? Always breaking treaties, always, you know, going back on their word because their word ain't worth spit. So again, how, how can you talk about voting for the Democratic Party Hillary Clinton as the lesser of two evils ain't none of those Democratic I mean excuse me Republicans that they're going to put up whoever gets the nomination none of them has the criminal record that Hillary Clinton has none of them have the blood on their hands that Hillary Clinton has black blood at that but certainly you know a, a lot of people will will cast that vote Talking about the lesser of two evil when they really will be voting for the greater evil. And I'm not telling you to vote for any uh, 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 Republican either. Hell, write my name in there. Not that I want the job, but write my name in there. I cannot vote for evil, period. Evil must be opposed at every turn. And so, yeah, you know, a lot of racist suspects is commenting on my video talking about, You know, coming against me. These are your liberal allies, your Democrats that support Hillary Clinton. You know, totally trying to change the subject, misdirect people. You know, that's what trolls do. Some of them paid to do it, to distract people from what they're really seeing. You're not seeing what you're seeing. Well, what about Rand Paul? He's crazy and this and that you know what I'm saying? Just totally disregard the words that came out of his mouth, no matter how true they were, because, oh, you know, he's in the Republican Party. Man, we got to, people got to quit falling for this stuff, man. They got to quit falling for it because it's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, if there's going to be a third party, um, presidential nomination from the Green Party, I will be voting for them. Um, I don't think, I can't remember back in 2008. I know I voted for Cynthia McKinney and Rosa Comente. I believe they were on the ballot, but they didn't get enough votes to be for the green party to become, you know, have a permanent uh, place on the ballot for future elections. So they, she didn't gather enough votes in North Carolina for that permanent placement on the ballot, but whatever the green, if, if they're not on the ballot, you know, uh, their presidential candidate, I'll be writing their name in. I will not be voting for any Republicans. I will not be voting for this psychopathic killer, Hillary Clinton. Anyway, that's the news for today. Um, coming up in February, um, we will be announcing a new, well, I've kind of already announced it to people on Facebook. They kind of know those that follow me, uh, some of my media partners. They kind of know we're transforming. I'm transforming the vision of the black talk radio network. When I first started the black talk radio network, it was because blog talk radio had shut us down and you know, I didn't appreciate that and I was like, it won't happen again. So I created my own platform and then, you know, other people were also having issues with the content that they were broadcasting. It was too black, too strong uh talking about racism, white supremacy. So, yeah, you know, we got to get you off of here. So this became a place for them to get their thoughts out there. And so it was kind of like a model after them where people, you know, get accounts, even though I'm charging half of what they're charging, giving you more, you know, Um I'm abandoning that model. I will still, through the Black Talk Media Project, offer that service for digital radio stations for those who want to erect their own digital radio stations, which I encourage that, and that's why I created Black Talk Media Project and teaching people, putting up these free tutorials and stuff on how to do it. You know, I'm encouraging that. We will support that. But in terms of the Black Talk Radio Network, I'm adopting a national public radio uh, model national public radio uh npr uh what gave me that idea was a woman uh one of the listeners of the program uh told me that she was switching her contribution from the national public radio to the black talk media project thank you for that really appreciate it all right and 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 then i was thinking about how all of those black shows uh got cut from npr so i'm like yeah we will be, you know, the National Black Public Radio Network, but we still keeping our name, Black Talk Radio Network, and we will not be charging people to have programs on this network, but we will provide them uh, that space for free and that assistance for free. And I'm still working out the details and whatnot. People will have to... um Fill out a radio treatment, which is a document I uploaded to Facebook. You can copy and paste it there. What a radio treatment is, is basically you're just giving us an outline of the program that you have in mind that you want to propose, whether you got an existing program. You're just talking about the things you discuss, what genre, uh, whether it's sports, whether it's news, whether it's politics, whether it's social or cultural issues, you know, just, de- all you're doing is describing that to us, who the host will be, what time slot do you want, and things of that nature. You will also be allowed to solicit advertisers and sponsors, okay? And, but we, we will ask that you reinvest 25% of any revenue you generate back into the black talk media project. So we can continue to train people. So we can continue to provide a alternative media platform for people. And so we can improve what we're already doing. And so that all hinges on how much money we'll be able to raise. Uh, last year I did an annual fundraiser in February we were only able to raise a little under $1,000. Um, I'm shooting for a $60,000 yearly annual budget. Um, to think about it, it's really not a lot of money. Uh, if 5,000 people gave $1 a month or $12 a year, that's $60,000 right there that, that we could really help people um provide them with the equipment that they need and whatnot and, and really be a public platform, you know, not driven by profit, not driven by uh dependent upon government grants and things of that nature, which then tries to control your content. Cause one of my media partners sent me a grant from the author T whatever foundation, bunch of white supremacists, you know, what I'm saying that's trying to control your content. And then the type of stuff that we do on this network uh, we we Uh I looked at it, but we wouldn't have qualified for the grant. But it has always been my intention not to apply for those, such grants and stuff because strings come attached. Because then when you start talking about things that they don't want you talking about, well, they'll just snatch your funding, you know, for the next year. Oh, your funding's denied. Sorry. And then guess what? You then become dependent upon that money, and now you got to shut down. So it's all going to be dependent if we can get enough people to contribute uh, to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project on how much we will be able to uh, advance our agenda, which is to, you know, uh, provide a true platform for black radio and expand the programming. We will be taking um uh, treatments for existing programs on other platforms that you might be paying for now. Uh treatments from college students, even high school students that want to uh look at maybe going into radio. Uh also provide an opportunity for people to be learn how to be radio engineers, digital radio engineers. And and we provide all of this for free. I've been doing this since 2008. Uh charging people at a very minimum to have their radio stations uh, and, and be on the network, $25 a month. I don't even think I should be charging them that if we are truly a public radio platform and we're truly a collective and we're working together to provide real radio for our people without, you know, being under the thumb of racist white supremacists. So yeah, that's, that's the vision. And I'll be sharing more of that uh, in coming days as I work out the details so uh, we just hope you know that people will contribute we got what averaging 30,000 people tuning in to this station unique listeners 30,000 a month and it's continuing to rise which is causing our cost to go up um got 5,000 following us on twitter another 6,000 on Facebook. Um, I forget how many thousands on the other stuff that we do the other, uh, like new abolitionist radio. And so, you know, I think that, you know, if people want to see this continue, then they should be, uh, willing to support it. All right. Uh, we support other stuff that ain't even benefiting us. So, you know, if a lot of people, uh, that are actually listening to it, if a lot of people give a little, then it's not going to be a big burden on just a few people. And so we would like to expand what we're doing, um, make what we're doing better in terms of the platform. And um, that's what the new vision is about. Uh, We're not in this to make money. We're in this to make our people enlightened and inform, and to give them a safe space to have the conversations that are not being had elsewhere. All right. So um, I will be back on the air Sunday night with another episode of political prisoner radio with uh, sister media Whitlock. Uh, We're still working on the details of what guests uh, are going to line up uh, that we have lined up. And of course, we're going to inform you about the cases of current political prisoners and any calls of action that are out there. Oh, by the way, the home home going um, and the celebration of the life of brother Phil Africa that's happening on Saturday, I believe tomorrow. Uh, I posted the information from Brother Ori Lumumba on uh, Political Prisoner Radio's Facebook page. And so if you're in that Philadelphia area and you want to be a part of that, you can get that information from there. Uh, Phil Africa was a member of the Move 9 family, um, you know, that suffered all kind of political repression and outright murder of some of the members of their family. And so, um, uh, he was allowed to die, uh, denied him medical attention and on the prison plantation that he was in. And unfortunately he died. And so they're having his home going, I believe it's Saturday and you can get that information again from our page, political prisoner radio. All right. So yeah, we'll be back on air Sunday night with political prisoner radio. Uh, y'all be safe over the weekend. Um, conduct yourselves as if you really do believe live behind enemy lines because you do you do you really really do and i can't stress that enough and i don't want you to become casualties all right i want you to live so take that to heart all right peace and blessings to all